Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi there and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. Uh, today I'm looking at False Dawn by uh, John Gray. If you'll remember on the subject of False Dawns, uh, we had a crack at this book a few weeks ago when we were looking at the question of neoliberalism in Mexico. We had all sorts of recording nightmares and so I thought, do you know what, it's what he puts forward is such an interesting thesis that I don't want to kind of pick away at it bit by bit. I'd like to really talk about the whole book. So again, it's one of these things uh, that we'll, uh, we'll, we'll come back to uh, again and again. Um, Falstorm's a really, um, uh, a book that was kind of quite prescient. It came out uh, around the, uh, the kind of the early 2000s. Um, and it came out, I think it was before the world economic crisis uh, of 2008. And the, um, the kind of the thesis he put forward, uh, which is, is sort of slightly similar to that which is put forward uh, by Donald Sassoon in the, in the Anxious Triumph, which is a book I think I've talked about previously, is that uh, a lot of the kind of the, the, the fantasies of, of global modernity, the idea that um, sort of global capitalist modernity is um, a, this, this unshakable force in the world and also a uh, potent source for solving all the world's problems through the, the magic of markets. These are kind of the delusional ideas. And they are delusional ideas that have kind of tacked themselves on to this economic project. And the purpose of this economic project was only ever to um, shift power and resources um, upwards and to concentrate them in ever fewer hands. Um, 
So uh, here we start off by looking at the, the origins of this kind of uh, attempt at um, economic globalization, which obviously following 2008 has, has uh, subsequently um, uh, founded. Mid-19th century England was the subject of a far-reaching experiment, writes John Gray, uh, a far-reaching experiment in social engineering. Its objective was to free economic life from the social and political control, um, and it did so by constructing a new institution, the free market. I don't think Victorians called it that, but uh, I presume this is how we, we look back at um, um, historical developments using the language of our times. The free market, and by breaking up uh, more socially rooted markets that had existed in England for centuries, the free market created a new type of economy in which prices of all goods, including labour, changed without regard to their effects on society. In the past, economic life had been constrained by the need for um, to maintain social cohesion. It was conducted in social markets, markets that were embedded in society, and subject to many kinds of regulation and restraint. The goal of the experiment was that attempted well, that was attempted in mid-Victorian England was to demolish these social markets and replace them by deregulated markets that operated independently of social needs. The rupture in, in England's economic life produced by the creation of the free market has been called the Great Transformation. The achievement of a similar transformation is the overriding objective of transnational organisations such as the World Trade Organisation, the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank on, uh, and the Organisation for, the, um, for Economic Cooperation and Development. In advancing this revolutionary project, they are following the lead of the world's last great Enlightenment regime, the United States. The thinkers of the Enlightenment, such as Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Paine, uh, John Stuart Mill, and Karl Marx, never doubted that the future for every nation in the world was to accept some version of Western institutions and values. A diversity of cultures was not a permanent condition of human life. It was a stage on the way to a universal civilization. All such thinkers advocated the creation of a single worldwide civilization in which the varied traditions and cultures of the past were superseded by a new universal community founded on reason. The United States today is the last great power to base its policies on this Enlightenment thesis. Obviously, this predates Donald Trump because uh, certainly from 2016 onwards, you you can't realistically make that claim. Whether that is an element of that has returned under Joe Biden is questionable. Um, but certainly, um, there's an excellent book that I'm hoping to get around uh, to pretty soon: "The Rise and Fall of the Neoliberal Order" by Gary Gersel. And on the front, there are two pictures. One picture is the fall of the Berlin Wall. You know, this fall of the of barriers. Um, to the linking up of markets and trade and these kind of neoliberal ideas of freedom. And then the second picture is that of Donald Trump standing in front of his wall. And what, whatever else Trump might represent, um, he certainly represents a huge disruption to this uh, neoliberal consensus 
um, and perhaps his time in office, um, Mark One, you know, we might get around to Mark Two, you know, heaven for friend, um, was a, about an attempted return to great power politics. I don't think Trump himself um, understood it in, in those terms. I doubt very much whether he's read um, anything or understands anything on the subject. Um, but uh, the the attempt to create a multilateral world order, rules-based multilateral world order, which was really the, the project, in, in a way, of um, the neoliberals, um, Quinn Slobodian's great book, The Globalists, um, uh, identifies that this attempt to create an order throughout the 20th, 20th century, on and off from the 30s all the way through to the 1980s, was based on the assumption that something like that probably would happen. And so you, you needed to kind of capture globalisation for uh, the role of free markets. Anyway, suffice to say, whatever Trump is, he, he is a kind of an isolationist um, nationalist who is not very interested in or keen on cooperation with anybody. And again, as I argue, probably doesn't really understand much to do with it anyway but um, knows that kind of belligerence and uh, being uh, seen to be as, as unhelpful as possible certainly doesn't do his voting uh, record any harm, his, his uh, electoral prospects any harm. So, as said, the United States today is the last great power to base its policies on this Enlightenment thesis, according to the Washington Consensus. Democratic capitalism will soon be accepted throughout the world. So this, this is the kind of the uh, the thesis put forward by Francis Fukuyama uh, at the end of the, the Cold War in his essay and later book, The End of History, which says that basically history is all over bar the shouting and the, um, the expansion of liberal democracies and free markets around the world will now just continue apace and... Um, ethnic um, identity and religious identity and political identity will all kind of be swept away by the allure of, of markets and the power of markets and will exist in this kind of um, postmodern sort of uh, en endless forever, the forever of the endless now, like that kind of thing. Um, obviously, you know, the uh, attack on the Twin Towers in 2001 um, was a bit of a clue that history wasn't over um, and that there was far more to um, uh, far more to uh, uh, the, the kind of the, the workings of world events than simply the, the idea that kind of markets would sweep everything to one side obviously you know, Mr Bin Laden did not agree John Gray writes, The manifold economic cultures and systems that the world has always contained will be redundant. This is in this kind of uh, Fukuyama sort of uh, view. They will be merged into a single universal free market. Transnational organisations animated by this philosophy have sought to impose free markets onto the economic life of societies throughout the world. They have implemented programmes of policies whose ultimate objective is to incorporate the world's diverse economies into a single global free market. 
This is a utopia that can never be realised. Its purpose has already produced social dislocation and economic and political instability on a large scale. In the United States, free markets have contributed to social breakdown on a scale unknown in any other developed country. Families are weaker in America than in any other country. I mean, some of these claims are, are open to kind of open to challenge, I would say. But broadly, um, I think, you know, John Gray's point here is that by exposing societies to the full power of market forces, which is something that traditionally throughout the kind of ancient um, medieval, early modern and to some extent the modern era, we've always sought to avoid, I mean, the creation in the 20th century of social welfare was the product of uh, looking reflectively, shall we say, back at the, the crises created by unrestrained uh, market forces and looking at, at sort of the, the devastation that that had caused. Um, so there is always a, uh, in any society, there is always a, a, a desire to keep um, market forces um, uh, under control. The this utopia uh, that can never be realised, its pursuit has already produced social dislocation and economic and political instability on a large scale. Families in America are weaker than any other uh, weaker in America than any other country. At the same time, social order has been propped up by a policy of mass incarceration. This, if you're listening to my conversation a couple of weeks ago with Jean Felser, um, dates back to the uh, the mid nineteenth century, to the end of slavery, um, the development of the American carceral state happens almost immediately that slavery is ended. In fact, to some extent, the, um, the, the, the mass imprisonments of people were anticipated by the threats to slavery, and it was a way of continuing slavery and racial segregation and racial oppression through other means, and kind of class oppression too. Um, no other advanced industrial country, aside from post-communist Russia, uses imprisonment as a means of social control on the scale of the United States. Free markets, the desolation of families and communities, uh, and the use of sanctions of criminal law as a last recourse uh, against social collapse go in tandem. Free markets have also weakened or destroyed other institutions on which social cohesion depends in the US. They've generated a long economic boom from which the majority of Americans has hardly benefited. Of course, if you look at the statistics on real wages, and the statistics on returns to capital, which you can sort of interpret as kind of stock market prices and that sort of thing, then there's a huge, huge disparity. Levels of inequality in the United States seem to resemble those of Latin American countries more than, uh, more than those of European society. Yet such direct consequences of the free market have not weakened support for it. It remains the sacred cow of American politics, and has become identified with America's claim to be a model of a universal civilization. The Enlightenment project and the free market have become faithfully intertwined. One of the one of the kind of the also ran 
ideas that was kicking around uh, during the, the first stages of, of the Iraq war uh, was that America had America had come to liberate Iraq as, as, as was propagandized um, but but what from um, Iraq is a, a fairly secular country um, or was under Saddam Hussein and so there was a, a sense that there, there might have been it, it might have been sort of some kind of variant of socialism that America that Iraq was being uh, liberated from. Um, I remember at the time seeing footage of an American soldier uh, asking uh, an Iraqi tribesman if militiamen had been to the village and the uh, Iraqi tribesman either didn't understand or didn't wish to respond and so the American officer said well you need to phone us if they come here uh, to which the Iraqi uh, tribesman's son said he says uh, translator says well he says that we we, we don't have any mobile uh, connectivity to which the American officer said well you need to get the free market here the free market will provide you with mobile phones and there was a kind of a, a, a look of utter bafflement and bemusement on the face of the uh, Iraqi tribal leader and this isn't to sort of denigrate the American soldier in any way this is uh, somebody who has come to Iraq with a faith almost almost a kind of a, a, a religious belief in this the sanctity of these extraordinary things called markets that can make mobile phone masts sprout out of the out of the sand in Iraq. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally, for most people, are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Anyway, a bit of an anecdote there, but it gives you kind of a picture. So, as discussed, it remains the sacred cow of American politics as has become identified with America's claim to be a model uh, of, for a universal civilization. The Enlightenment project and the free market have become faithfully intertwined. A single global market is the Enlightenment's project of a universal civilization in what is likely to be its final form. 
it's not it, it's not the only variant of that project to have been attempted in a century that is listed with false utopias. The former Soviet Union embodied a rival enlightenment utopia, that of a universal civilization in which markets were replaced with central planning. The human costs of that defunct utopia were incalculable. Millions of lives were lost through totalitarian terror, ubiquitous corruption and apocalyptic environmental degradation. An immeasurable price in human suffering has been was extracted by the Soviet project. It had failed to deliver the modernization it promised for Russia. Also see China, uh, Maoist China, where both regimes, Stalinist and Maoist, were engaged in a sort of economic war um, with the, the rest of the world, with each other, and also against, against sort of nature. I mean, some of the, the more horrific environmental crimes were the product of a desire to kind of batter and subjugate nature into submission, to see uh, nature as the, the kind of the wild beast that must be tamed or the enemy that must be destroyed in order for um, prosperity and abundance that would create the, the, the new world that both were trying, both regimes were trying to build. The utopia of the global free market has not incurred a human cost in the way that communism did. Well, arguably that's not true. Um, it depends what one thinks that the material costs or the human costs of colonialism were upon which most of modern capitalism uh, is, is based. Yet, over time, it may come to rival it in the suffering it inflicts. Already it has resulted in 100 million peasants becoming migrant labourers in China. The exclusion from work and participation in society of tens of millions in the advanced societies, and condition of near anarchy, and ruled by organised crime in parts of the post-communist world, and further, and, and further devastation of the environment. Even, through, even though a global free market cannot be reconciled with any kind of planned economy, what these utopias have in common is the more fundamental, uh, is more fundamental than their differences. In their cult of reason and efficiency, their ignorance of history, and their contempt for the ways of life they consign to poverty or extinction, they embody the same rationalist hubris and cultural imperialism that have marked the central traditions of Enlightenment thinking throughout its history. A global free market presupposes that economic modernisation uh, means the same thing everywhere. It interprets globalisation of the economy, the spread of industrial production, and the intercontin interconnectedness of market economies throughout the world as the inexorable advance of a singular type of Western capitalism, the American free market. Now, as, as you'll probably know on this podcast, the thing that I, I like to talk about, the thing I think it's worthwhile talking about, the thing I think is most interesting to talk about, is the flow of ideas and the effect of ideas and the power of, of ideas. What ideas are capable of doing. Often a kind of often scary stuff to to consider um and here we have a set of ideas which were born or, or came to their sort of kind of height in the mid 1990s before 9 11 probably but you might say between the fall of the berlin wall 
and 9-11 itself in that that long um, that long period, that sort of 12 or so years. And one would be forgiven for thinking in that period of time, uh, as Fukuyama had, that capitalism had prevailed and that it had prevailed to the extent that there was no other model. At the moment, there is no other model that stands any chance of um, of becoming a kind of a version of, uh, of of economic functioning anywhere in the world. Um, it might be that capitalism isn't so much defeated and overthrown as becomes something else, perhaps something even even less benign as the climate crisis bites and food and other resources become more scarce, do we perceive ourselves shifting back to some form of feudalism, maybe? Um, but the idea is the thing here. Uh, and John Gray, who's often written about the Enlightenment, says that this is one of the kind of the, the, key, the, the legacy of, of Enlightenment thinking. To which I think, well, perhaps that is is true, but also it's part of a very unenlightened, sort of anti-enlightenment set of ideas. Um, as Quinn Slobodian sets out in The Globalists, um, the likes of Hayek and Friedman saw um, neoliberalism, saw the expansion of uh, global markets, uh, and the um, liberation of capital from social democracy as a way really to return political power to uh, an elite um, and particularly political power back to the owners of capital. The, there had been a, a disruption in the 20th century. Social democracy had unexpectedly triumphed after World War II as a product of the crisis of the war. And what that meant was that, to some extent, uh, in Britain, America and other uh, first world countries, that um, social democracy had temporarily got the upper hand. The uh, idea that uh, Hayek um, set out uh, was that uh, over in time you had to wait for the right opportunity and you had to wait for the right circumstances for you to present uh, a different set of ideas, which is uh, really the, the basis of kind of Thatcherite and Reaganite neoliberalism in the 1980s, which um, the, then is transformed after both have left office in the 1990s with the accession of China to the World Trade Organization, the end of the Cold War, um, and the, the creation of um, global conditions um, for uh, a, a, a more globalised version of neoliberalism, one where American and European uh, companies could outsource labour to China, uh, and the, the idea that the likes of Clinton in America and Tony Blair in Britain came up with uh, was that, what, you know, you need to keep all this going, this, this wonderful new system. And the way that you do that with uh, and deal with the, the discontent that you have in your domestic markets, particularly, and this, this particularly relates to um, Tony Blair in Britain, 
is that you use the, the wealth generated by neoliberalism to kind of compensate in wealth, government welfare, uh, for um, the, the mass unemployment or the decline of the mass unemployment of the 1980s um, and the decline of traditional industries um, as outsourcing um, took, a, took a bite. Um, a global free market, writes John Gray, presupposes that the economic, uh, economic modernization means the same thing everywhere. It interprets the globalization of the economy, the spread of industrial production into the into interconnected, into interconnected uh, market economies throughout the world as the inexorable advance of a singular type of Western capitalism. The real history of our time is near is the near uh, near the opposite. Economic modernization does not replicate the American free market system throughout the world. It works against the free market. It spawns indigenous types of capitalism that owe very little to any Western model. Russian capitalism, Saudi Arabian capitalism, Indian capitalism, Chinese capitalism doesn't work like American capitalism. Um, not uh, in only in sort of highly superficial ways. The market economies of East Asia diverge deeply from one another with those in China and Japan exemplifying different varieties of capitalism. Equally, Russian capitalism differs fundamentally from capitalism in China. So I've always argued that when we talk about capitalism, people say, you know, capitalism is this, capitalism is that, capitalism is good, capitalism is bad. Well, whatever you think of it, you have to talk about there being capitalisms some more benign than others, some more brutal than others. Chilean capitalism in the 1980s was very different from Swedish capitalism. You might think of them both as capitalist countries where the private ownership of capital and the accumulation of power in that way was, was permitted and even encouraged, but are, you know, in completely and radically different econ economies and societies. All of these new species of capitalism have in common is that they are not converging on any Western model. The emergence of a truly global economy does not imply the extension of Western values and institutions to the rest of humankind. It means that the end of the epoch it means the end of the epoch of Western global supremacy. The original modern economies of England, Western Europe and North America are not models for the new types of capitalism created by global markets. Most countries to which, uh, which try to refashion their economies on the model of Anglo-Saxon free markets will not achieve sustainable modernity. Uh, as is often said, the, the one thing that seems to have worried American policymakers more isn't Chinese communism, but Chinese capitalism. Okay, well, there we'll leave it today. Um, and so thanks very much. We've got some more amazing interviews coming up soon. Um, I have, I'm arranging, I don't want to say it now, but perhaps the, um, the biggest interview we, we, we've ever done on, on the Explaining History podcast. Uh, very, very exciting um, uh, possible uh, in, interviewee, uh, but anyway, more on that later. Um, and um, so, yes, cool things are coming. Um, a quick word, and I hate doing this, 
Um, in these kind of parlous times, um, advertising revenue drips in in a tiny, tiny little kind of nano payments and that kind of thing. Another one of kind of uh, the capitalism's great lies, but there you go. Um, I do do a Patreon and we have some um, regular um, subscribers. Anyone that can support us via Patreon, that's great. Or if you can't commit to a regular payment uh, or a regular subscription, um, if you can uh, give us a, a, a one-off donation for to keep the podcast going, um, it's uh, there's obviously you know kind of costs involved and that kind of thing. Would be very very grateful. Um, so I'll put a link down below. Um, anyone who's able to give a, a one-off donation, uh, we are very very gratefully received. Again, money's such a vulgar topic, isn't it? But there you go. There you go. These are the brutal economic realities to which we all must submit. Okay, thanks very much, everybody. I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. All the best. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.